Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chicky Fitzgerald, and we have got a treat for you today. Our guest is author Mark Samuel, and he has written a whole bunch of books, but the one that we're going to be talking about today is B-State. And I had to really think about this one to figure out what this is all about. So I am going to turn it over to Mark to tell us a little bit about himself, and then we're going to dive right into the book. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much, Chicky. It's great to be here, and I uh, look forward to uh, talking more about B-State as we get into our talk today. Right. And the other books that you have written, uh, one was Making Yourself Indispensable, The Power of Personal Accountability. And and you do, you talk a lot about accountability. You've got another book called The Accountability Revolution, uh, Creating the Accountable Organization. Uh, uh, Again, the the power of personal accountability uh, as a a book in and of itself. So what is B-State about and what is B-State? Well, let me, let me start by giving a, a bit of background. First of all, B-State is about breakthrough results. And really, it's about moving from accountability to breakthrough, because it's not enough to just be accountable and get things done. We have to act. We're in a time that's very different than any other in history, where change is happening faster um, the marketplace is changing quicker. Technology, as you know, is, is just always jumping ahead of whatever the, the current is to a future that we never even dreamed of. And if we're going to keep up with that as organizations and as individuals, we can't be just focused on assessing the past. We've got to be clarifying the future. We have to be setting ourselves up for what's going to be our breakthrough in terms of changing our business models, changing our organizational cultures, all at the same time. That's really the whole focus of B-State. And we gotta do it fast. We can't, we can't, we gotta get out of the old mindset that it's gonna take a year to two years, uh, three years to change an organization's culture. We gotta think in terms of months, three to six months, and drive business changes fast. Absolutely. Or in my case, as a a serial entrepreneur, it can't even take three months, right? Because we're creating culture. We're not trying to change it. And so there's some really interesting dynamics there. And uh, I will certainly chime in as we talk. But let's talk a little bit about your your background. Again, I know you've done, uh, you've got a consulting firm, first and foremost, that's your day job. And you have consulted with some pretty incredible uh, individuals. So how did you get to that place where uh, all of this stuff that was, you know, kind of turning around in your head actually made it out on paper and, and you got uh, someone interested in actually publishing it, which uh, I know firsthand uh, is not the easiest of things. And, oh, then you have to actually sell the book, right? And that's not their job, it's yours. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and th- my story is a strange one because... First of all, I never wanted to write a book. It was the last <laughs> thing I ever wanted to do. 
it, honestly, I, you know, it would be between writing the book and going bungee jumping, and I have a fear of heights. So <laughs> that gives you an idea. But, and I never really wanted to create models or concepts or any of that stuff. Really, when, what my goal was when I, after getting uh, my, you know, master's degree in organization development, my goal was just be a good consultant, do what my professors taught me to do well. I had great mentors and just operate from integrity without mm -hmm. trying to make a client dependent on me. My, that was my goal. I just want, I want to be able to provide a service and empower you to carry that on rather than you thinking you have to hire me forever just to keep your business going. Right. So that was, that was my intention. And unfortunately or fortunately, I got great results. People loved me. But I went into one particular organization that I had done some team building kind of work with, and they all loved me. In fact, they were giving me hugs, and I was very young in the <laughs> workplace, and they were giving me hugs of how wonderful, and it was great self-awareness. I mean, I was like a rock star, and, you know, this is my late 20s now, right. and my head is getting bigger. I'm feeling on top of the world. And then I asked a really interesting question that changed my life forever, even though I thought it was just a normal question. I said, so how's the team doing? And she said, oh, well, the team is just as dysfunctional as ever. But we loved your, your experience and gained so much personally. And literally my, my, just, <laughs> I did my whole, my whole, I became hopeless in that moment. You know, it's like, oh my God, I'm a failure. <laughs> oh, that and, is and really, so funny. I took it so to heart. I said, look at if I can't get better results than that. I mean, I'm glad people like it for themselves or their own awareness, but my job was building a team and that didn't happen. And right. so I said, if I can't figure out why, I'm going to get out of this industry and start another career because in those days, I really needed to be a feel like a winner. I, I was not the right. most secure in that in that way. Spent two years studying all the organizations to see uh, that I worked with to find out what the pattern was, and the pattern was a lack of accountability. That was the root cause. It didn't matter industry, it didn't matter level, the lack of accountability. So that became my focus for the next, you know, thirty years, and. Um, and as I started to delve into that, I discovered that much of what I was taught simply wasn't working. And I'm a practitioner at heart. I'm not a theorist. I don't come up with concepts. Mainly, I'm here to get results. If I don't get results, I find a way that's going to get results. Right. And it was the toughest path because even things I believed in didn't necessarily work. And I had to let go of even the things that I thought, you know, were Oh, it makes so much sense. This has to work, and then it doesn't. So, right, right. Um, and then I found things that did work that wasn't supposed to work. You know, it was like, oh my God. So I had to really become the scientist in this um, and really discover what the path was. As we started to get improvements, then what I, what I later discovered, the next transition came uh, when, I, when I realized accountability only breaks down in execution doesn't break down in planning, doesn't break down in strategy. Accountability breaks down in execution <laughs> when we actually have to do something. Right. right. <laughs> and that's what, that's what became my focus. Then I became focused on how do we get execution optimized? 
that's what B-State is about. Very, very interesting. Well, you know, it's funny that you bring up the facilitation as as kind of the the catalyst for that change. I, I just published my first book in, in January, my first uh, allegorical business novel, right? Because I, I had uh, years ago, when I first started this show, almost 10 years ago, uh, I interviewed Bob Berg. And he had written uh, this great little allegorical novel with John David Mann, which was about sales, right? But it was written in story form. And I just fell in love with the genre. It's called The Go-Giver. And, and, you know, from the moment I closed the book and and actually like immediately text, uh, sent a text, (coughs) excuse me, to both of them. (coughs) Oh, goodness. Um, anyway, I it was like, I've got to write this book. Well, the story I ended up writing, I didn't write it until eight years later, right? And it just got published <laughs> yeah. in January. I, I, just got published. Yeah. And, and it was about a meeting facilitation gone wrong, right? Kind of the opposite of your story yeah. of, of, of not falling in love with the person doing the facilitation, but everybody leaving the room with all of their same <laughs> Uh, burdens and and problems that they came in with, right? And so here's the funny thing is they all leave and unbeknownst to each other, they listen to one of my real radio shows and each one takes away the insight that they need from that particular interview, right? Because they didn't all have the same needs, right? But it's funny because I've also had a consulting firm for for 22 years, although now I've I've kind of broken away from that. I decided I wanted to make money while I slept rather than while I was awake. (laughs) Way easier, way more sustainable. (laughs) But um, anyway, I I used to focus in my consulting firm, uh, and and in fact, I would never have articulated this way, but it, it makes such perfect sense of that clear roadmap from point A to point B, because point A is where they're stuck, right? That's the status quo in my world, right? And innovation in not only technology, but business models and, and things like giving and, you know, how the company functions, although I'm not really a student of culture, but I knew the importance of it. So, Anyway, I, I'd love for you just to dive in and tell us about how how the book is structured. Like, I mean, I'm a I'm a connoisseur of covers, and I, I do love the cover of, of your book, which just screams breakthrough. Yes, and and thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that, and I love your story, by the way. It's great. Um, you know, the the way my book is structured is it really starts with the discovery, you know, like how did, you know, how did I even come across B-State and what was going on for me? Because again, being a practitioner, everything is, is, is about really the evolution. It's the discovery. It's the surprise, if you will, of discovering what, um, you know, what tends to work that surprises us in a sense. And so for me, it was really the moment, and I get into describing this, it was the moment that I realized that my past, which involved playing baseball and music at fairly high levels, wouldn't say full professional, although I played music professionally and, and recorded and such, but, but it was really about those were areas where, where groups are dedicated to execution. And what's the difference oh, yeah. between... Yeah, what's the di- difference between an athletic team 
and, and an organization when it comes to execution. And it's that dedication. It's that practice. They're not sending people to training programs to learn how to communicate. <laughs> I never right. learned active listening to play baseball or music. <laughs> 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 I never learned body language. You know, we didn't really care. It was all about <laughs> the difference is it's how do you communicate to make the play? And right. unfortunately, we think every solution in the organization is go get more training or right. even to do pro process improvement. And I'm a big fan of process improvement. But you can have a great process and still execute it poorly. <laughs> exactly. And we spend no time with that. We spend time in meetings, literally sharing information that at nausea that people have heard somewhere else, you know, in most cases and are bored to tears by. We're not, we're not practicing our execution. So what does execution mean in an organization? How we solve problems, how we make decisions, right. how we coordinate our efforts. And, and yet, we don't talk about that. We'll blame an individual for not doing their part or, oh, here's a breakdown. But we never practice, well, what would that mean to do it right? And what is our ideal way to execute? And so many organizations today are busy, and this is going to really tick off a lot of people. They're all busy doing styles inventories to figure out, you know, right. let's make sure we can all communicate with each other. I can tell you right now, no one did a styles inventory when I was playing baseball or music. <laughs> they actually didn't care what my style was. What they cared was, can I make the play? Can I coordinate right. with the other person? You know, because it didn't matter what my favorite throw was. What mattered is, can the person catch it? <laughs> exactly. It's outcome driven, not individual driven. It's team driven not individually focused on preference. It has nothing to do with comfort. It has everything to do with are you courageous enough to keep improving on yourself and never, never settling for what best is today because we're going to create a whole new best tomorrow. Right. That's and, the game of these days. Yeah, and, and so you begin the book, and, and we're not going to have time to go through through all of the items that – that you uh, list in your table of contents, which is you know, how I like to focus the discussion. But you start with this whole issue of being stuck in that A state. And by the way, in, in my own uh, entrepreneurial business, as I mentioned before we got on the air, you know, I'm a tech entrepreneur, that's what I do. And I am banking, I am actually banking on the fact, and I hope these folks are not listening to this particular show, I'm banking on <laughs> Expedia, Priceline, Marriott.com, and Hilton staying right in that A state of being comfortable, making billions <laughs> of dollars, just yes. counting their money on the sale of vacations and business travel, which is 8% and about 14% of all travel, all told, right? Because I'm going right. for the B state, right? And, and yeah. I've done my B-State discovery journey. I know where I'm going, right? Which is the second thing is you have to know where you're going or you never, ever will get there, right? Exactly. And, and, and you then move on and talk about raising consciousness, right? Which Because you, you have to be aware. And if you're not aware, then you are stuck in that A-State, whether you know it or not, right? Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. So talk, and, and, talk to me a little bit about that journey. Well, and, and here's, the, here's the funny thing about it. I just spoke to a group of executives, right? And, and they're all coming to hear me talk about B-State. And 
I talk about the fact that we're actually changing culture. Like people ask me, how long does it take to change a culture? I say it takes a day because you don't have any more time than that. Like you have to literally start changing your behaviors, your mindset in a day. And if you're at a, at, at a, at a leveraged leadership level, that's going to affect everybody else in the organization. I don't have to get to everybody else. We see culture change happen in three months at three or four different levels that we never even talked to. Right. Because it starts to, it, it has its own tr trickle effect. So I'm talking to this, the, the org this group of executives and, you know, about how fast we're getting these changes. And I'm talking about three months to get new business results, three months to change a culture. And they say, well, okay, well, that's all well and good, but, but how long is it? How much of your time are you spending with people? I go about two days. <laughs> she goes, what? Like, that's impossible. Like, how do you do? Oh, wait a minute. She said, how much assessment time do you spend? I said, usually zero. <laughs> but if right. I have to, I'll take one to two days to do a bit of an assessment to get context. But she says, well, how do you, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I've never even heard of going into a change without doing lots of assessment. I said, that's the breakdown. We spend millions of dollars assessing generally what we already know. <laughs> exactly. When in fact, all that's going to do is recreate your A state. What I want to do is clarify your desired future. I want to know what you're going to do differently. <laughs> and we don't even allow people in those discussions to talk about what they do well. I don't care what you do well. I only care what you're going to do differently to really get breakthrough results. Right. And, right. and by the way, that goes against the philosophy of mine because I believe in build, building on your wins, building on your success, building on your strengths. What I discovered, though, is that that muddies the water. It, it, it confuses the clarity. So, again, well, no, it, it starts getting system, you comfortable. It starts getting right. you comfortable with it, your A state. Right, exactly. See, you you knew it faster than I did. I had to discover. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> well, you you and I would have made a gazillion dollars consulting together because I I you know again I never wrote a book about it, but I uh, uh, subscribe to every single one of these points, and especially this next one about being a lifelong student because that intellectual yes. curiosity. If, if I see an organization that is stuck in their A state, it is because there is zero intellectual curiosity in their organization. Yes. Or if there is, it's being fulfilled outside of the organization in people's social lives, and it's not being fulfilled internally. God, that's so well put. You're exactly right. It's amazing how we both see the world. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, no, it's absolutely right. It's scary. I, yeah, really. And I associate that with amateur versus professional. Professionals never settle for best. They're always looking at possibility. What can be even better? Take the best star athletes in the world. They're always practicing in the offseason a game that they're already paid the most. They're already wrote, rated as the MVP years and years, and yet they're still working on their, what they call their off game, <laughs> which any one of the rest of us would think, if I had your off game, I'd feel good. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. It's that intellectual curiosity. It's that thinking of possibility. How good can I really become? Whereas 
amateurs settle for low level. If I went to the class, I'm good enough. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, I already read that book. Oh, yeah, I already went to that class. I don't need any more education on that. That's not even the point. <laughs> like, it's, to me, it's like going to a movie. If you like a movie and you see it a second time, you see all sorts of different things that you didn't even see the first time. It becomes delicious to look, to have that curiosity, to see things that you didn't see before, even though you're going over the same material. Professionals, you know, professional musicians, if you take the people who are in the Philharmonics, they practice scales all the time. Well, an amateur says, I don't need to practice skills. I already know them. That's how I see too many leaders today in organizations. Oh, yeah, I already know that. They're not diving into how good they can become. They're not diving into, okay, what's another way to look at this? And that's what you're talking about. That, to me, is that intellectual curiosity. Once you stop that game, once you stop being a student and you think you're an expert, you're done. Game over, as far as I'm concerned. And I've always thought of myself, and I tell people this, I'm a student of accountability. I'm not an expert of accountability. I have expertise from experience, but I'm a student. I'm always going to learn about it. Hey, Mark, I'm so sorry. My, my browser died. Oh, that's what happened. I wonder if, like, Wow, I think I'm talking to myself. <laughs> well, I hope you said, said some really brilliant stuff, but I will, I'll go back and edit and, and kind of splice in. So um, where I lost you on my side, uh, and again, if you, if you had a, a nice, long, great response, it's totally fine. Um, I, I was just saying that, you know, we could have made a gazillion dollars together had, you know, had we yes. been consulting. And then very quickly after that, I lost you. And so I figure it was something okay. really super powerful because, you know, the the uh, computer gods conspire, uh, you know, to kind of thwart <laughs> anything that is super powerful in my life. And, and my computer has been especially badly behaved lately. So. Um, anyway, well, I can pick so it up because I, I, I remember what you said and I remember what I said. So do you want me to give good. it a try? Excellent. Yeah. So, so, your, your so keep going. About, yes, your comment about intellectual curiosity to me is the game changer for organizations because in my, and being a student, you know, for me, it's all about being the student and, and never settling for or whatever level of expert I've become. And so let me give you an example of that. I, in, in my talks now, and all the time, really, and for, for the last 10 years that I've been recognized as an authority on accountability, I always tell people, introduce myself as, I'm a student of accountability. I have expertise, but I'm always learning, and I'm always gaining new, new understandings. And I said, I always relate it to this. That's being a professional, most organizations are stuck being amateurs, where they settle for the very basic knowledge. You go to a leadership class and you think now you know everything about leadership. You read a leadership right. book. Oh, yeah, I've read that. I know that. Well, how many times have you read it is my question, because <laughs> it's like going to a movie. You know, if you love a movie and you see it a second time, you see all new things in it. Yes. And are you open to really diving into what that means, not just 
do you have mental knowledge, but how much have you actually embodied mentally, emotionally, and physically? That's the game of a professional. I mean, top athletes are always working on their game. They're already paid the most. They're already MVPs. They got all the attention they need. They'll have, the rest, they have enough money for the rest of their life. But that's not about that. It's about possibility. It's right. the possibility of how good can we become, not how good have I been. And right, that, to right. me, is the missing piece in organizations today. I, I see way too many organizations operating as amateurs without that intellectual curiosity, striving to prove how much of an expert they are and how much they know and wielding that with their authority rather than looking for new possibilities and engaging the young because the young aren't, don't have the limitations and restrictions. So they right. can think some really weird, strange ideas, and instead of shutting it down because, oh, that would never work, it's how do you, how do you be open enough to try and make it work? So totally. And, you know, that's, that's why in my, in my corporate career, you know, which I, I got a very early start on, largely because <laughs> I, I decided after about three weeks into my freshman year of college, I wrote a paper called The Value of Experience Versus Education, where you can guess what yes. happened. Right. I went home at, at Thanksgiving and told my parents I wanted to quit school and everybody in my family has master's degrees. And they're like, say what? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I really I don't even want to go back now, but I'll, I'll go finish the semester. Right. And and so right. I got into the business exactly. world very early. And the funny thing that happened is I ended up being the person that whenever there was a blank sheet of paper, uh, they would say, well, give it to Chicky. You know, she can put form and substance on this, right? And I didn't realize yes. until much, much later that that was the entrepreneur in me, right? I never thought I was an entrepreneur. So, you know, you, you use a word here in Chapter 7 called uh, B-State Energy. And I love yes. that word energy. And it was actually introduced in Chapter 6 of optimizing energy. Why is energy yes. so important to get to B-State? And why isn't it present? most of the time in a state. Yeah, and, and, and really, I, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because so often what organizations focus on is employee satisfaction, I, you know, and I think you ought to be focused on what's your organizational energy, what's your cultural energy, because mm -hmm. it takes energy to move things. It takes energy to get out of bed, you know, yes. and if you're going to create new worlds, and really expand beyond your current limitations, it takes energy to do that. And what people don't know is that energy begins with action, not planning. <laughs> planning, there is no energy. I'm not saying you don't right. need to plan, because you do, right. Right. but don't expect to get anything from that. You gotta take action on the plan, and hopefully from taking that action, you then create a movement where now things are starting to move, and hopefully the real goal for any organization is how do you create momentum? Creating momentum means I'm going so fast I can't even stop. It's beyond right. me now. It's like a runner running a race, a sprint. They can't stop when they, once they've reached momentum. And the hardest part for any runner is getting off the blocks. I have to exert exactly. three steps so, of energy just to move mm -hmm. one step. Yeah, That's exactly. Well, my, so my, son is a, mm -hmm. my son is a three-sport athlete, and, you know, uh, uh, I love 
Fridays because it means Friday night lights, right? So, and my son uh, is in a small school and even though he's small, he's fast. And so he plays every play of every game. And last week he had his, his, the culmination of everything he had wanted to do in his football career. He's a senior and he's the the team kicker, right? And he wanted to score a touchdown and kick the extra point, which he did last week, right? But the (laughs) thing of momentum the, the thing that yeah. made me think about this is I, I think about the the tacklers, right, who are, uh, you know, the linemen are running toward their goal, which is like to knock down the guy, right? And I'm always amazed yes. at the penalty that arises from that. Because first of all, in what world could you stop the momentum of that lineman, right? right? right. When he's right. already in motion, right? He can't say, oh, Sorry, I don't want to hit you. Besides, that's what they're paid for, right? So I I think that momentum thing is so, so important. And, you know, quite frankly, at this stage of my my, uh, entrepreneurial life, right, I'm on my, hopefully my last startup, right? Um, And But we're at that place where everybody is still an all-volunteer army, right? And, you know, I kind of rally them together on conference calls and I hate managing by conference call, which I think is largely what's wrong with the A state, by the way, (laughs) is is all this remote working and people working from home and they get no momentum from working together because all that energy is dissipated. And, and, you know, you ramp it up for a conference call. You have no idea whether they're playing Angry Birds or whatever the common thing is to play these days, (laughs) right, instead of listening to what's going on. So let's talk about – you've talked a lot about execution. You've talked about culture. You've talked about playing a professional game versus being an amateur. One of the chapters that is intriguing to me is number 16, which is the middle management miracle. What is that miracle? Oh, yes. Well, right now, the way organizations are structured, they, um, you know, in a a hierarchy in most cases, but even when it's matrix, that just creates more confusion and almost no accountability. Um, (laughs) when, when, When you're talking about middle management, their job up till now is to optimize their particular technical function. HR optimizes HR operations, optimizes Mm -hmm. operations, financing, and the like. And the problem is they're not – that is literally the weakest position in any organization. And the the problem is silos, to me, is the disease. And the way middle management is structured, silos begin there for sure if it's not already somewhat in the senior management team – it's definitely going to come out in middle management because they don't understand the business. They only understand their functional area because that's Mm -hmm. what they're getting paid to optimize. So they make decisions that optimize their function and literally detract from two to three or four other departments all at the same time. It's just literally crazy. So the middle management miracle it's about how do you get middle management together as their own team in charge of operational excellence with a single goal that relates to the business first and right. to their function second, and you change the entire game by creating, you know, the way I learned it, you know, the way I not learned it, but sort of evolved to it was through cross-functional accountability rather than only having functional accountability. 
And really, when you look at where the massive breakdowns are that affect the, the business the most, it's not at the lowest levels where everyone's putting their focus on process improvement. It's really between the functions that have a ripple effect across the entire business in terms of pro both profitability and culture. So right. bringing those middle managers together is absolutely key for cutting costs, improving customer satisfaction. It's that group that needs to work together the most. And they need to understand each other's roles enough to understand how to make good business decisions. Otherwise, you're making a big business decision in a vacuum. But Absolutely. that, to me, has produced the most culture change, the fastest business change by far. The trick is getting them over themselves, if you will, so that they can truly become business leaders. Right, right. Well, I love, I love that, that uh, the whole notion of, of working together. I, I come from a background, even in my corporate life, of doing a lot of merger and acquisition work and working between companies. Yeah. And, and you talk about a number of other things in the book, and I don't want to spoil it uh, because we do want them to go and, and on October 16th, you know, have their finger poised over the button on Amazon to buy your book. Uh, actually, I think they yes. can please purchase it, right? Yes, they can. They just go to yeah. bstate.com. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, but the last chapter of the book it actually fascinates me because you talk for the entire book really about the culture within a company. And then all of a sudden you've got this departure at the end of the new frontier yes. of partnerships between companies. And right, you know, it, maybe you're setting us up for the next book. I don't know. <laughs> I hope not, because <laughs> that means I'd have to write one, another one. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and I, no, tell, I tell my friends and family, if I ever say I'm writing another book, just, you know, shoot me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Um, yeah, but I do think the future is about that. I mean, the the most the most breakthrough thinking that I'm getting into today is how do how do businesses partner with each other to leverage each other to part to to collaborate more rather than even the old notion of customer supplier like mm -hmm. that is such that that is prehistoric a state you know in my <laughs> viewpoint <laughs> it's like no 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 we're partners we have to make each other successful or we end up losing in the end and it's yeah, about sure. the long term, right. not the short term. And and so, and quite honestly, if that doesn't happen sooner than later, uh, you're going to see healthcare go, go into much more misery than it is in now, because mm -hmm. the only solution is through ultimately through cut it, bringing down the cost by sharing resources and with one thing in mind: how do we serve our population? And yeah. How do we do that without having to provide all the service ourselves so that we really do end up partnering with each other mm -hmm. to just continue to drive down costs? Right. You know, and, you know I think just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting in, in you saying that about how, how companies should work together because I actually think that's what will transform the sales culture. We're, we're in a place yes. right now where people are so inundated with communication of every variety. I mean, I easily get 300 emails a day, and I don't know how any yeah. human being 
consumes that much information. Oh. And then I get, right. you know, the people reaching out to me on LinkedIn wanting to sell me something. And and yes. it makes me crazy when they they don't even do their homework, right? So I think right. if we can figure out how to partner with the people we want to be our customers, that it will change that yes. whole thing. So so what we have been talking about here is uh, we have had as our guest today, Mark Samuel. He has written a book that is coming out October 16th called B-State. You can pre-order it now on his website. And this book is about a new blueprint for bold leadership, brave culture, and breakthrough results. Mark, if folks want to get in touch with you, I am sure everyone listening today wants to figure out how can, they can afford to bring you in uh, to you know, roll this out in their, in their own company. So how do they get in touch with you? Well, a great way to get in touch is go to bstate.com. It's really simple, bstate.com. And that's where they can both order the book. They will also be linked to my corporate website, which is impactcorp.com. I-M-P-A-Q-C-O-R-P.com. And we're right now in the midst of transitioning our, you know, are we branding our organization so that B, because B state is so much easier to say than impact corp. <laughs> <laughs> totally so agreed. We're going <laughs> to be dedicating our, a complete website to B state thinking, B state services, B state, you know, resources. Um, but it's probably about three weeks off, but if they go to bstate.com now connect to us on impact, they can get to us at, at any time. And Perfect. and I don't mind people just emailing me. So you can email me at mark at bstate.com. If you have questions, I, I don't mind taking the time to answer it because to me this no. is so important for everybody to move their both their personal life and their business life. Well, Mark, you are singing to the choir, and I absolutely love the content of this book. I can't wait uh, to read it. Uh, cover to cover myself with pen in hand as as I normally do, and uh, I will give you my feedback on applying this in a brand new culture, right? In a company yes. that I'm building from the ground up, where I don't want to have to go back and retool. I want to do it right yes. the first time. So you yes. definitely will hear from me. And thank you so so much for your time. Thank you so much for the conversation. I, I love what you've done in business. It really made this conversation super rich because you're, again, coming from experience, not just mm -hmm. theory. <laughs> exactly. Well, Mark, thanks, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, thank you, too, Chicky. It, it was great. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to us today, and go out and take this information. Go from your A state to your B state and change your state. Thank you. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.